Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I am joined by Adam Fowler. Hey, Adam, how's it going? Going well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to have you on. Uh, I've been working with a lot of your stuff. And we had Kilo Loco on a few weeks ago talking about AWS and Amplify. So I'm glad to have somebody who's been working on the server side of AWS stuff and specifically your Soto project. I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself and introduce what Soto is. Okay, well, well, I'm Adam Fowler. I for for about 20 years I was working in games development and then about 5 years back I decided that it was too stressful. I decided I wanted to leave. I left and then um didn't touch a computer for about 2 years and was basically being was basically a photographer for that period. During that period I started make, making a couple of couple of apps though i did make a couple of ios apps and that was my introduction to swift and it's at one point i was started to look at backup for um images and this is when i got involved in um aws and uh, s3 their storage system interesting at the time i looked at looked at when when looking for like a, a swift sdk for aws i thought that there must be one no there isn't an official one uh, but there was a community project which had had been started, and I got that was what was called AWSDK Swift at the time. Mm-hmm. Yep, I remember that. And I I got involved with it because uh, there was some of it worked for me and some of it didn't, and I started fixing the bits that didn't. And uh, slowly over time, I took took over. I've been doing most of the maintenance on the project from this from that point on. It, the time I joined was just as it got in, um, sort of integrated with Swift Neo. That was work done by two guys called Joe Smith and Jonathan McAllister. And so, yeah, since then, uh, well, we've had the rename, we've had a major release, and uh, a lot more people seem to be um, using it. Yeah, it's an awesome project. I'm glad somebody's uh, taken on moving to pure Swift when it comes to talking to AWS. Um, what is something that an iOS developer should know about Soto? Well, first, primarily, Soto has has been designed for server-side Swift. The main thing is to s- support accessing AWS services through server-side, but it does work on iOS. You can use it on iOS. There's nothing stopping you using it on iOS. I guess if I was to take on do a project which was using AWS services, I would probably want to have a server-side component which was doing the access, the access to those to those um services. So you would probably want to be thinking about setting up server or Lambda access and then talking to that server, which would then talk to AWS for you. So for iOS devs, it's available and you can start using it now, even even if it's just for uploading to S3. My use case, uh, funny enough, where I first got into Soto was storing WAV files uh, from the Apple Watch into S3. And it worked. It worked fantastically uh, in order to do that. So it definitely works on the client side. But yeah, like the biggest use case obviously would be like, okay, you want to use it with Vapor, but like specifically AWS Lambda, if you need something to talk to Amazon Web Services, Soto is the way to go, more or less. What are some technologies? We talked about S3. Why would you look at something like using S3 with your server-side or client-side app? And what does it provide for developers? Well, S3 probably stores, I don't know how much percentage of the uh, internet. 
if you need to serve images or if you need to save save data, it's one of the easiest easiest app services out there to get get into. And it's uh, they they have like various storage options for, for various pricing levels. I use it for as, as I said, my first introduction to it was for backing up um, photos. Well, it's funny because you're a photographer and you're like, I just need something to back up my photos. I'll write a whole framework to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> it wasn't that wasn't the plan. <laughs> when I back up my photos, I don't need instant access to them. So you can with um with S3, they have various levels of storage. So you can have you can have what's called Glacier, where like um you pay a pittance. Yeah. Compared to what you would pay in S3. And as long as you don't need it right away, yeah, who yeah. cares? Yeah, it's as long as you don't need it straight off, then like you can just store it in there. They even have like one which is even cheaper. I, I think I pay about seventy five cents to store three quarters of a terabyte or something. Yeah, I get my three dollar monthly bill from Amazon because I have some stuff in Glacier. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Well, S three obviously it has a versioning, so if you if you're pushing files up there, you can like version files. You can use it to serve a website off of a static website. I have a number of websites and I. I store the files for the websites on S3 and uh, then they're served through um, CloudFront. Mm -hmm. Yep. Hey folks, I wanted to let you know about a sponsor of our show, RevenueCat. If you're doing anything with in-app purchases or subscriptions, you'll definitely want to check them out. Using RevenueCat to power your in-app purchase infrastructure solves for edge cases that you don't even know you have. It also protects you from outages your team hasn't even seen yet. And it saves you time on future maintenance and features released by the app stores. Plus, it empowers your product and marketing teams with clean, reliable in-app purchase data so they can make better decisions to grow your app. All that is to say, RevenueCat handles all the headaches of in-app purchases so you can get back to building your app. I highly recommend you check RevenueCat out at RevenueCat.com. Give it a try and see how it can empower your product and help it continue to grow. Thank you, Revenue Cat, for sponsoring our show. You were saying earlier how much of the internet is is on S3, and it's like 80% of the internet is probably in WordPress, and all the image files are stored in, in S3. So probably, yeah, yeah. It's probably like that is the biggest use case. Most likely. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, uh, you put files on S3, well, Amazon automatically back it up for you. If a drive fails, you don't, there's no worry about that because they've got it backed up on, on at least two other availability zones. So, so you don't need to worry about backup. Backup because it, because S3 is actually where people back up to. Mm -hmm. Right. You would you're not going to be backing up the backup. <laughs> right. Right. So S3 is a big one for file storage. What do you think are some advantages to using something like S3 for storing your files as opposed to like? I don't know what the other one, like oh, the only one I can think of is like iCloud or CloudKit uh, on the Apple side, but like trying to think what are the other file storage services out there? There's really, now that I think about it, there's not really a big one that's a competitor. There are a number, but in the end, they all follow this, the same pattern as S3. The S3 have defined the interface. Yeah. And then everyone has S3 style storage systems. There are, there will, there will be different price differentials depending on who you work with sometimes. Uh, I I don't know anything about the, I don't know anything about that though. Like um, I wouldn't be able to compare prices. So what are some other services that you've accessed through AWS? So I guess the next one would be is a lot of people. I'm almost sticking on the S3 thing first. A lot of people make the mistake 
of using S3 to deliver files. It's not a cheap solution for content delivery. You should be using CloudFront, AWS CloudFront for content delivery. That's like provides like a CDN and a few other features there to, to make it like more applicable to, to serving files, right? Yeah. So if you, but like if you have, yeah, if you're like serving files for your, for your app off, off the internet, you'd be wanting to use CloudFront. There's a couple of advantages. One is if you're using CloudFront, it's then on use, it's stored on multiple sites across the, across the world. So you're, you're not going all the way to that server, which is stored in um, Ireland. You can go to the one that's nearby, which is like in San Francisco or in um, wherever. The second advantage of it is the price. You're like uh, the amount of money you spend for serving a file from from CloudFront is tiny compared to what you would serving on S3. Like the closest competitor I can think to CloudFront would be like Cloudflare, really. Yeah, that would be that's a that's a similar right. But essentially, it's like setting up headers and like doing all sorts of stuff that will make sure your data is cached and it's served fast. Yeah. Now, how does Soto hook up to CloudFront? Like, what are some things that you've used Soto and CloudFront with? Well, Soto, I haven't used Soto in relation to CloudFront, really. That was more just like uh, me using it as a, as, a, as a way to serve files. Because, well, Soto will connect to every Amazon service there is because the way, way it works is Soto, we use um, the interface model files, which every SDK uses. And you then auto-generate all the code for every service from those, those model files. And so there is, there is options to work with CloudFront from Soto, but like um, it's not an option I would probably use that often. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to build a management tool, that would certainly make sense. Yeah, other systems that uh, probably would be of use to iOS developers, obviously Cognito. Cognito is like, uh, or AWS is like uh, identity and user solution. Cognito is kind of split into two options, two sections. There's, there's identity where you use some f- form of, uh, you have someone provide uh, saying this is this is so-and-so an identity, and then, this, and then that can be used to create credentials to access Amazon Web Service services. Mm, okay, and that's like cognito identity. So that will be that works with like signing with Apple, which is obviously very important for iOS. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also works with Google, uh, Facebook. Yeah, I, I looked at the cognito stuff, and it's like massive what it provides as far as authentication is concerned. I could see how like Amplify is super helpful for for folks on the iOS end when it comes to that stuff. I think what Amplify does, which because uh, you look at all the Amazon Web Services, it's really scary. There's, there's so much. <laughs> yes, it is. There's so much because they've, 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 they've tried to solve so many different solutions. They even have like different services which are almost doing the same thing. Right. But like uh, they are serving a slightly different section of the market. So it's, yes. Hey, folks, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by App Figures. Did you know that better writings have a direct impact on improving your app's visibility and on driving downloads? Stronger ratings signal that an app has happy users. While there are other factors, app stores tend to float these results higher in search results. As more users find your app, they are also far more likely to download it when they see social proof. Learn when to ask for ratings as well as other tips and best practices by signing up for AppFigures weekly newsletter at appfigures.com newsletter.
If you like what you see, head to appfigures.com to try AppFigures for free. Listeners of the show can get 30% off for the next three months. That's for both new and existing users using the code EMPOWER3030. Again, if you like what you see, both new and existing users can use our special code EMPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. If you're an app developer and you want to reach that audience, you'll definitely want to check AppFigures out. Thank you, AppFigures, for sponsoring this show. So I use Cognito. We had like set up the static like user essentially that would have access to more of the data uh, on the server. And then I would need Cognito in order to access some of that data. Um, and then it would just use that user authentication information to, to log that in and, and get that data. Um, and I think most of that data was using Dynamo, um, which I believe is one of the other massive services that AWS uses. That's essentially like a database. And, and then we talked about this with, with uh, Kilo, but like it's kind of like a document-based system with like j- kind of a JSON structure similar to, to Mongo. And Soda obviously supports that as well. Yeah, Soda supports, yeah, we'll support DynamoDB. There's, yeah, DynamoDB is an interesting one to start. I wouldn't necessarily, it's, I, I know, I think Amplify produces a, a direct link into DynamoDB because they're, they're trying to push DynamoDB, I think. But DynamoDB is actually quite, if, if you're not really experienced with databases, it's actually quite hard if you want to do anything complex, it's um, because it's not a relational database. Right. It's not, it's more like you said, it's, or a, you know, it's key value. It's kind of a hybrid between key value and document-based. Yeah. It's something and then like um, trying to manage how you're going to do all your um, queries off that. And it is really quite hard and it, you need to plan out beforehand what all your queries are, because that really impacts on the, the the structure of your of your database, unlike in a relational database where you can just basically create everything and then go like, oh, I want that and I'll join that and I'll, and so it's it's a lot more complex. If you want to do something really simple, it's it's great um, and it's fast, scales really easily. Um, and and just like S three, it's cheap, which is a big advantage. Dynamo is like so much cheaper than uh, is it Aurora. That they run, uh, where you can kind of do your. Oh yeah, Aurora is them MySQL solution. Yeah, they're MySQL clone, um, and it's a lot cheaper than that. Like, I love relational databases; that's my bread and butter. But if you're doing something cheap, like any of these, like key value systems, document-based systems like Firebase or Dynamo, are just so much cheaper. Oh god, yeah. Uh, so but, yeah, that's the big advantage. But then it's, yeah, these things are also like pay as you go as well. It's like how much you use it. Like and with um, with the relational databases, you're paying for a server almost. What other technologies uh, did you want to mention that Soto really specializes in? I guess yeah, the other one would be Lambda. Okay, because I've used the AWS Lambda stuff in Swift. What is how is Soto integrated with that? Well, if you're running a Lambda, there's a good chance you want to talk to an AWS service, and. Uh, you can use this the um, Amazon Smoke framework to do that, but like um, Soto's, but also Soto is available for you so that you can communicate with like DynamoDB or RDS through your Lambda. You can. Um, we do, I have had people invoking Lambdas from Soto as well. Okay. Yeah, but I would say the the standard path would be to to set up an 
an API gateway. API gateway is another service from Amazon where you, you can you can define APIs and then like push push to different services from those APIs. Um, Lambda being one of them. Yeah. Yeah, and that was my use case was that we had set up a Lambda and then we used Soto to talk to all the services through the Lambda. And basically, like you said, it's API gateway, essentially. And it worked fantastically. One of the things was having to set up like what's called an AWS client. And you did some refactoring recently and how you did that with Soto 5. What exactly is an AWS client? Why would you own... You, you're supposed to only create one of them, right? Well, the AWS client... Basically, yeah, the Mosota the, um, is kind of split into two parts. There's AWS Client, which is it does all the communication with Amazon Web Services. It uh, goes to find credentials that you can use to communicate with Amazon Web Services. It will generate your request, sign it, and then pass the response and pass that back to you as, a, as, a, as an object, a, a swift object. The other half is the the service objects, which are what there's there's an object per service. So there's an S3 object, and these and, and there's a cognito um, identity object. These basically give you the configuration to talk to each service, and then all of the different uh, API calls that that service has. The client you need to you need it's best to keep one client because when you set up a client. The first thing it does is it goes to find credentials. If you haven't given them directly to the client, it's probably going to go look look in environment variables, check a file on your file system, then check to see if you're running on if you're running on Linux, it will check to see if you're running on ECS or are you running on EC2. This is a long process. Wow, I didn't know this. This is awesome. So you're figuring out where you're running so that way it's optimized to call the services correctly. Okay. You can reduce that. Um, basically, the client has a credential provider parameter, which you can say the default is to do all that this big long chain. Yeah, I now remember. It's like an enum, essentially, or a, stat, a series of static variables that you can like specify. Oh, here's a username and password. Here, just use the built-in environment variables, etc. Okay. Yeah, if, uh, if you're running an, if you make running an iOS app, you really shouldn't be storing your... Um, credentials on uh, on in the iOS app for... right hey folks it's that time again the best swift developer event in the known universe begins at least that's what it says on the website but it is an awesome event if you heard John Wilker on our previous podcast episode you know I'm talking about 360 iDev this year they're going to be doing something a little bit different with a hybrid event You can choose between three different tickets, an in-person attendee, online attendee, and the in-person all-in, which includes a continental breakfast, conference Wi-Fi, amongst other things. 360 iDev is one of the strongest communities out there when it comes to iOS, Mac, and other Swift development platforms. And they've been serving the community for, gosh, 12 years now. They've come a long way. They're not done being awesome and helping the community thrive, and they're going to crush it in 2021, just as they did in 2020. So you'll definitely want to check it out. Joe Chaplinski, who spoke in a previous episode about subcontracting, will also be their keynote speaker. And I know from the Release Notes podcast that he is a solid speaker and he's going to bring a lot to the table. I'm really looking forward to hearing Joe speak. So I highly recommend checking out 360 iDev this year. 
August 22nd to 25th in Denver. Or if you need to, they have an online ticket as well if you want to go that route instead. Listeners of the podcast can get 25% off registration by using the promo code EMPOWERAPPS. Again, 360 IDEV is this year, Denver or online, between August 22nd to 25th, with, I know, a great selection of speakers and a really great way to find others in the community and throughout the world. Get your ticket today and sign up, and I look forward to seeing you there. So what, you know, speaking of credentials, what are some security gotchas that server-side or even iOS developers should know about when they're setting up and using AWS through Soto? Well, I guess yeah, the first one is, is related to your credentials. Basically, when you to communicate with, with AWS, you need uh, two values. One is your access key, which is kind of a public key. Every request you send to, to Amazon Web Service, it's very visible. You can see this key. And then you'll have a, a secret key, which is like your private key, funnily enough. Um, this is used to sign the request. Um, it basically collates the, the request into with all the details of the request and then Mike signs it using, um, I can't remember offhand now. It's, it'll be, I think it's used as, as the HMAC key in the signing process. If you leak both of those keys together, then anyone can access your AWS account with the permissions that those keys have. This is probably not something you want. So no, not, I don't think do, so. Do not store them in your executable. Uh, do not store them in a in a config file. Don't store them in your repo. <laughs> yeah. So what ways to get around this? One of them is yeah, don't talk to Amazon directly from your app. Or if you are going to talk to Amazon directly from your app, get a server or a lambda to sign those requests for you, and send send them back to you so that then you can talk to to AWS. So. If you've if you've got Lambda, then the the key is only available. The, your um, credentials are only available to that Lambda, and no, you can, there's no way someone can access it unless they can actually get into your account. But if they're in your account, then maybe you've already lost anyway. Yeah. So, if you're let's say a project manager and you need to integrate AWS into your app, what would be your recommendation as far as how how to go about doing that and how to deal with either you know Amplify or Soto in that case? I don't know a great deal about Amplify, so I can't really say um, with Amplify what would be the, the issues. It really depends on what you need to do. Mm-hmm. If it is something simple, if you just need to upload files to S3, you can probably you could probably write have a, a small lamb that does this signing of your upload requests and then do all the uploading from your iOS app. Okay. So you're saying send the request off to the lambda, it gives you a signed request, and then you can upload straight straight to S- S3. Obviously, if you're doing something a bit more complex, then like, can you start have to start setting up a pipeline for uh, your very, for, for Ibu, you're probably going to move a lot of it to a server or Lambda, and then you're going to have to set up a deployment pipeline uh, where you've got, you'll need um, proper testing and you'll need um, various environments to ensure you're not like um, right, working on the, the, the production environment. You need the development environment, testing environment of, so that that's quite involved, and like uh, will, will probably take quite a bit of time. Another thing to be wary of is costs. Amazon are very good at surprising people. Yes, that is true. You go like, oh, well, I'll just start up this server and uh, then go home and forget about it, and then like the next day you find like you've got an extra. You need to take out a mortgage. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that's a really good point. You need to be on top of that just to be sure. Otherwise, you will. You, there's a good chance you might get a surprise at some point later on. So one thing like a lot of iOS developers aren't aware of is like the capabilities and power of Swift Neo. Whoop. Do you think that there's a place for Swift Neo on the client? Um, and what what should iOS devs know about Swift Neo from that aspect? Well, Swift Neo does work on the client. Um, they've they've put some work into making sure that it does. Uh, the raw Swift Neo you shouldn't be running on the client because it's a sockets based solution, and uh, you should be using uh, probably using network framework to doing doing your networking. Because if you just use a raw sockets one, it does. It doesn't wake up like the the radio doesn't. Uh, yeah, the cell stuff and Wi-Fi. There's all sorts of stuff you get for free from net, through the network framework. So okay. the, Swift, the Swift Neo guys did a, a second library, which uses the network framework. Right? Um, it's called uh, Swift Neo Transport Services. Okay. And there's a uh, that works great. You, and there's various um, applications that you various libraries that use it. So there's the async HTTP client, which is uh, which is now using it. Uh, Soto uses it. So if you're using Soto, you are using the correct setup. You, there's a, there's a MQTT libraries. It's quite low level. So you, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of a learning curve before you can, you'd be writing your own, writing your own service, but it's, it's worth looking into for sure. So one of the frameworks that you've been working on and uh, released recently was Hummingbird. Now that's like a, that's like a server framework, like an abstraction layer, obviously above some of the low level stuff we've been talking about. What does Hummingbird bring to the Swift server ecosystem that other server frameworks like, you know, we we're talking about Katura earlier, Vapor, Smoke don't really provide? Well, it's described as uh, lightweight and flexible, I guess. Hummingbird is super flexible. You don't, you don't have to have everything something like vapor they you start off with vapor and you've got everything in there so if you if you write a simple app which does like with vapor which does which just returns the hello or just an okay it's about three times the size of a hummingbird app yeah yeah because it because it has like ssl in there it has http2 in there you might which these are things you possibly don't need hummingbird's kind of set up to be as flexible as possible so that like it's um so it can be used in different situations. Um, I have a, I've written a, a a lambda version of it, so you can run it in la- on a on a lambda as well. So if you want if you want some routing within your lambda, there's a there's a quick there's a nice easy setup there. And and if you if you have um if you're not sure if you want to run on server or lambda, you can very quickly flip between the two. Yeah. There's been some talk about folks wondering about, okay, should I run Vapor on a Lambda? And like you said, like that feels a little bit overdoing it because uh, there's a lot of stuff in Vapor. Like Vapor is fantastic. I love it. But like it provides an ORM. It provides all sorts of different ways of doing communication. You just won't simply need when you're running a Lambda. So it's not really made for that. And it sounds like Hummingbird is really about simplicity and flexibility when it comes to that and just providing the bare minimum that you need, right? It's providing a bare minimum, but it's giving you the options to bring those things in if you need. So HTTP2 is available. TLS is available. But like, uh, you don't pay for them if you don't want them. Yeah, right. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we close out? I guess, um, given that uh, 
this this is probably primarily directed to iOS developers. There will be an iOS hummingbird coming up very soon. Okay, so you can run your own server on the iPhone. That's awesome. Well, I mean, I don't know what the deal with the App Store would be, but that's still like for developers, that's fantastic. I've seen people use use it as a kind of a dummy server that they can test against while on their iPhone. Yeah, I've, that's actually a use case I've seen a lot is where people need to do like unit testing and they need a dummy server and they'll like set up Vapor. But this sounds like much more like what folks would be looking into if they want to set up a server to do to, to, to do testing on their iOS app. So that's fantastic. We'll definitely put a link in the show notes to that. Yeah, it's it's currently a it's currently a pull request. It's not it's not been merged in yet, but like it will be probably in the next few weeks. I'm sure it'll be by the time we release this episode. So yeah, fantastic. Well, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me online on Twitter as uh, O underbar aberration. I have a website opticalaberration.com. There's a photography thing going on there. <laughs> and uh, on GitHub, I'm Adam slash Tyler. And uh, what's your Instagram? Come on, we need that one if you're a photographer. It would be Adam Fowler Photo. Awesome. And then uh, Soda Codes is the site for Soto, so you'll definitely want to check that yeah. out. We'll have links in the show notes as well. People can find me on Twitter at LeoGDN. My company is Bright Digit. Please take some time, provide a positive review if you can on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google, wherever you're listening. And if you have anything you want to come and talk about on the show, or you have any questions or concerns, please let me know. DM me on Twitter. Thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye.